0: Let's dive, Let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome to another Ask Me Anything with me, Dan Wilcox, interviewed by the wonderful...
1: Me, Sam Frost. Hello. I
0: know. Really, I really need to work out some sort of like proper intro for these. Like, the, the actual, the main episodes, they're so smooth and slick, if I do say so myself. Mm. But these are very, very kind of thrown together. But that's, that's the nature of the behind the scenes.
1: It's a bonus. It's a bonus, bonus. like it's not supposed to be as slick and look, give yourself some credit because you didn't just refer to me as your helper. So we're making steps. (laughs)
0: It's all progress. It's all progress. It's all it's about marginal gains. (laughs) How are you doing, Sam?
1: I'm okay. I'm I'm about to cough, so I'm going to have some water. And then Uh, I'll. so talk about yourselves.
0: Yeah, so I'm an Aries. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well it was either that or a car analogy so like roll the dice i know
0: i need to figure out like to be fair as the more i use that car analogy mm. the more i like it but i do feel like i should probably that there's probably something better out there I'm um
1: sorry, and... I mean to just like
0: mm, just, yeah. just comedy spray just yeah. clear off your camera yeah yeah but no for people who oh sorry go on as I say, for people who are unaware of the car analogy, it's kind of my... I don't know if you, people have heard it before, but it's almost like my kind of metaphor for self-publishing and, and writing and and that whole jam that I'm sure that I'll get into again on the podcast at some point. But what were you going to say, Sam?
1: I was going to say, name me three parts of the internal combustion engine.
0: The, the internal... like the engine or the... Uh, 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 I want to
1: know, namely three parts of what's inside the combustion engine of a car.
0: Oh, that will be the uh, dolphin sprocket, Mm -hmm. the uh, worm tail bend. (laughs) Yeah. And the gasket. Nice. Nice. Like I I could have been a mechanic in Neverland.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you could be a mechanic in just any world where there's magic, where you don't have to be. You can just be like car fix.
0: Yeah, but but this is this is why we write and then research in that order.
1: (laughs) I'm just gonna put dolphin sprocket in square brackets. I'll get
0: (laughs) the technique well remembered.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, but you know I'm okay. Okay, I'm. I'm 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 just I'm constantly exhausted at the minute. But apart from that, I'm all right. hmm. exhausted, pre-diabetic, um, anemic, and have been told by my doctor that um, basically all of my health problems at the minute are to do with the fact that I am um, really high stress um, and really high functioning. So that what I need to do is is take a break and chill, mm. um, which I would love to do. Right. Yes, please. Nom, nom, nom. Give me the break. Give me the chill. But I'm a single parent, so like Mm. when someone says that, I just go. (laughs) Yeah, I'll see you when I'm full-blown diabetic. Then I guess.
0: Hey, (laughs) two months time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, how are you? Lie down. Lie down. Yeah. Uh,
0: I am. I am. I'm good. I've come back from like four days at Chillicon, which has been many things, if not incredible, inspiring, and just harmfully motivating
1: <laughs> yeah really like being like yeah motivated no. pain
0: yeah no just a a fantastic a fantastic weekend all around that um I'm sure I'll go into at some point but yeah it's inspiring but it's too many things not enough time
1: well should we dive into the questions because that's what we're here for Let's rock
0: and roll, yeah. So the question sent over by our wonderful Activated Authors community. Mm -hmm. Fire away, see what we've got.
1: So before we, like, do a little graceful Lara Croft swan dive into the questions that we have (laughs) been sent, um, I just would like to address... I was going to say the elephant in the room. It's no-one's elephant in no-one's room. But last Hmm. AMAs, number two... um, Renee had popped a question in the Slack while we were recording and I had caught it because God, I'm amazing. Um, and I had brought it up. And then you just really ground it answer it. So- mm.
0: <laughs> Absolutely fine.
1: Yeah. So Renee had said, I'm very late, but in case anyone is monitoring, what is a good per hour rate for ghostwriting? And then mm-hmm. after we've recorded, you popped in the Slack. Uh, I realised I didn't answer this on the call, Renee, um, but I've been anywhere from 0.02 cents to 0.08 cents per word on my contracts. Mm-hmm. So I would add that in there for anyone that was kind of, had listened to me like, for fuck's sake, damn. Yeah,
0: where's the answer? Um, and <laughs> Also, just for people watching on YouTube, you'll notice as well that it's just me and Sam tonight. Um, that is purely, again, just to touch on uh, the, the the smaller elephant in the room. Um, purely for scheduling interest at the minute, it's uh, it's 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 just us two for now. But everyone will be listening and watching this on the replay. Hi, guys.
1: <laughs> to address the even smaller elephant in the room, if you can hear. <laughs>
0: Literally smaller elephant. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I know. I know. If you (laughs) you can hear, let's just grumbles, snores. I wasn't say farts, but they are silent. That's what makes them like Mm. so offensive. Is that you don't know they're happening. Um, Mm -hmm. my pug is currently all the way over on that side of the bed, but he's real loud. So you might you might pick up might
0: catch a bit of that bit of a rumble.
1: Yeah, I don't have like Eduardo. Just (laughs) 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 he's in the loft. Um, Ah. Anyway, so right, first question now we've addressed all of the elephants we've been on (laughs) on a safari. Um, (laughs) I always went Andrew Garfield then. (laughs) Bring it back. (laughs) The first question we've got is from Magellan and he asks how long did it take you to develop your confidence as a writer?
0: It's a really good question. Um, I think it, it, it's a really hard one to pinpoint the exact um, sort of time of of my writing. And it's definitely something that fluctuates as we go. I think it ties a little bit into the idea of imposter syndrome. You can have days where you really feel like, you know, your writing's singing and, and, and shining off the page. And then the next day you can feel like you can't string a sentence together. Um, it's it's never evolving process it's it it is a really tough one to answer because for me and I have said this a lot um in the past on podcasts and things most of what I write is for myself Mm. and so there's a sense of as you write as you edit giving everything your best and I feel like there is an innate sense of whether or not your sentences are Mm -hmm. well-constructed, put together in a way that, you know, you are telling a story. Um, In the beginning, it's very difficult to test that barometer because ultimately what is good, (laughs) Where, where, where does confidence come from? Is it, you know, your own hubris or is it testified by people in reviews, people who have read your work, peers, critics, that kind of thing? So... I think early on, the confidence kind of comes from ego. We've all got enough ego in us, if we're starting to write, to be able to say, okay, I'm capable enough of telling this story. Um, as you begin to work with editors, as you begin to give it to readers and get that feedback, that confidence slowly builds and, and builds and builds to the point the that you get a baseline sense of, okay, I'm, I'm an okay writer, I'm a good writer, where, whatever that is but you know project's a project, to project
1: mm. you, you
0: never you never truly know until you start getting that feedback and the interesting thing as well is that you need to make sure you're getting the right feedback too because and i i preach this everywhere i go if you're <laughs> giving your book to uh romance authors and you're writing thrillers you're going to get very very different feedback if you give your thriller book to thriller writers you're going to get much more useful feedback. If you give it to thread of readers, you'll get an entirely different set of useful feedback, because writers and readers think very differently about a lot of the different mechanics of writing. Um, I'm not going to get into the car analogy. <laughs> and so
1: oh, no, please
0: <laughs> but I think I think for me, I always enjoyed writing, and the pieces that I did do, I got relatively good feedback on. And that was enough for me to have the ego, have the hubris to be able to go, OK, let's write a story and let's go. And again, early on in my journey, the only reason I wrote a book was because I wanted it on my bookshelf. I I wasn't all that bothered about giving it to people. I just I just wanted to write what I wanted to write. I wanted to give it my best. And that was that was picked up and done well. Um, but I would say that I'm now at a point in which I know that I can write. Um, Provided that I've got the right story. I've got the right pieces together. But also I, I can tell the difference very specifically between a first draft and a final draft. Mm. My first drafts are considerably more messy than my final drafts. Um, tend to stay around the same word count, which is very, very interesting. Um, but there's a reason that last, last year, the year before, I, I essentially live wrote When Winter Comes and shared it with people because I wanted authors to see the behind the scenes. And I've done it before where I've, written a short story live in an hour and just invited people to drop in and, and check it out if they wanted to and to watch the process because there's the adage that i see a lot which is write drunk edit sober or the first draft right write, uh, write the first draft of the door closed and then carry on with the door open um but that's not always helpful for people because it's very it'd be very interesting to see people's first drafts versus their final drafts because that's the whole point of writing you start with something messy you put it on paper and it's it's never going to be clean it's never going to be perfect you have to chip it away edit think about it percolate go back tweak all that kind of stuff so i'd kind of argue and this is you know me talking myself to the point um (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of how i how i live um yeah but i guess there's almost a sense of the confidence that I have comes from knowing that it's a process and that confidence I'm, I'm boring the hell out of Sam. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that, that the confidence comes from the acceptance of the process. It comes from just writing that first draft because there's no other way to make it happen than to write it. Mm. Trusting my editing process to clean it up trusting my my beta readers to give me honest enough feedback to know if I'm making a big boo-boo with a story um and then being able to publish so it's it's a journey confidence grows with each book that you publish but that doesn't negate imposter syndrome and this constant feeling that every time you come to a blank page that you haven't got it anymore
1: Mm. which
0: is a real fun real inspiring journey for for people that that comes ahead but I would I would Wholeheartedly say if if you want to find your confidence, be very specific who you give your book to, or even your story or sample, whatever that is. Make sure they have some sort of skin in the game. Mm. And also don't just get isolated opinions. If you're gonna give no, if you're gonna give your book to one person who is in your genre and they don't like it, that's not enough of a data sample to be able to say definitively whether you can write
1: no that is give it it to 10
0: people give it to 20 people give it to 30 people the more people you give it to the more you can actually get an impression of what's going on
1: Mm -hmm. I love that we used to um do this exercise when we would get new headshots um Mm. so we started at drama school and then I kind of followed it through because as terrifying as it is it's actually really really helpful which is you swap your headshot with a mate And then you both go out into like a place that's kind of like got good foot traffic, usually outside of a theatre or cinema at like kicking out time. And you show them this headshot and you say like, who is this person? Not like, do you know them? But like, look at this photo and tell me what this photo tells you about this person. Mm. And then you would do this with like 10, 20, 30, 40, as many people as you could get. And there's always the outliers. But they're not the people you're interested in. There's, there's always a common trend of like, okay, this photo set because then you know, out of like you've got four or five different headshots, which one? Like you don't want to send the one where you look like a bitch, <laughs> or like the caring nurse. Do you know what I yeah. mean? You don't. You you're too close to it, so you can't see it. And it it's, sounds very similar with this. You know, you give it to as many people as possible. I would yeah. just want to um raise one point before we move on to the next question and that's this you said um you look at it as a process and you trust your editing you trust your bases at what point did you trust your editing do you know what i mean
0: after going through that process um the first full time round there's always going to be the question of is this right it's the first mm. time you're doing it you're always gonna you're always gonna wonder um once you start getting those good reviews come in once you get that good feedback that helps it's not the answer no. um but it but it definitely helps so that's kind of why i i push the people to go through to the point of finish to the point of publish because it's not going to be the be all and end all if you put a book out and it doesn't do it as well as you want it to
1: probably- there's
0: the unpublished button there is you know um Pen names and all these different options to move your career forward and to not have that mark against you. You know, you could have five people give you bad reviews and you'll be like, oh crap, this is this isn't fun. And it's not. Um, but you learn something. And then, you know, you find one of the other 7.8 billion people in the world outside of those five. Um, I mean, even even with my writing, I have continuous themes that I'm working on in which quite a few of my different books, people talk about it being quite slow starting.
1: Mm. And
0: so with each book that I write, I try and work on that balance of finding the hook, finding a setup in a way that works for the story. And it's not a constant thing that pops up, but every now and then it does. Mm. And so it's things like that, where if it's enough of a theme that it pops up on a few occasions, pay attention to that, have a look at it and see if there's anything you can work from that. But also, at the end of the day, it might just be a few loud people's
1: opinion. Yeah. That's generally the people that have those kind of opinions are normally louder, and mm. um, yeah,
0: yeah. But I will, I will just add as well, just one more thing tied into this. I wholeheartedly do not believe that writing is just an inborn talent. No, that you are a writer or you aren't. I have seen people who are who have struggled with dyslexia all through school and their early life come out and write fantastic books Mm -hmm. because if you are dyslexic you can get a fantastic editor if you have no fingers you can get someone else to type for you you can use your voice there's a thousand different ways to type and to make a story and as long as you're willing to put the effort into your craft and to work at it you might not hit it right first time but you can learn you can keep getting better and that's truly where progress and and success lies is just the willingness to keep going
1: yeah talent versus skill right yeah yeah Mm-hmm. awesome okay well let's move on to the beautiful meg and she wants to know how do you find the right pressure point to motivate yourself <laughs> so not so little that you procrastinate and don't work but not so much you freeze in fear and don't create
0: i i laughed when i saw meg post this question because it seemed very 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 timely um <laughs> i when i know i'll tell you <laughs> um, can you just read the question again, just to get the the, the phrasing for me? Mm-hmm.
1: So, how do you find the right pressure point to motivate yourself? Not so little you procrastinate and don't work, but not so much you freeze in fear and don't create. So, where is that sweet spot for you? Or, like, you know, where would you like it to be?
0: So, I think it does come back to this idea of seasonality and sort of, um, in the words of Sasha Phoenix Ben um cycles in which I, for me I definitely do have this kind of inhalation exhalation of workload and what I try to do is put enough in my calendar that it keeps me motivating it keeps me rolling keeps me busy um that every now and then that does load into a lot of things so for example I mean the last two weeks have been very very full-on for me with writing a book um some fun in personal times like a stag doing things uh conference a bunch of stuff getting ready for the mastermind for activated authors and so it has been really intense um but i have pushed myself hard and run ragged knowing that you know i will be able to exhale slightly after all that's done give myself a bit more of a break um reassess but i think i one of the things i'm looking at going forward. Is being very very specific on how many projects i'm running how they balance around sort of pre-standing appointments because i think it, one of the difficulties of i mean any job not even just you know self-employed is balancing your fixed static appointments and the things that are regular fixtures in your week with the stuff that is fluid and the stuff that is growth and developing um and so I'm just freezing because I've realised there might be a, a unit in the coaching thing that I'm doing that's on this, and there was something that might be useful, but I can't quite remember what it was. Um, if it if I remember, it, I'll come back to it. Um, but it is it's you know you you ha- you have your you have your your weekly things that almost form your baseline for how you run your business. I think it's important to understand what the the minimum viable is for you and to spring off that and then use whatever capacity is remaining to then inject the rest of what it is that you're working on. And it's 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 hard to define what that looks like for everyone, because obviously everyone's different, everyone's plates are, are different sizes. And for me, I tend to find that for about two or three weeks, I will go hard, and then for a week or two, I'll ease up. Um, I am looking at a few systems at the minute just to work out programs and fixtures going forward and projects and and things that I want to work on. Um, But I know that, you know, personally for me, one thing that I have been massively lacking in is leaving proper time to create for myself Mm -hmm. and also uh, better planning for ghostwritten projects around the other stuff I'm doing, which is lucky because all that fades off the the tail soon. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, So honestly, I don't, I don't know. Like all, I all I can do is kind of speak around that one. It's the motivation comes from the purpose. The motivation comes from the why, and taking time to sit still for a bit, remember why it is you're doing what you're doing, and that should give you the fire to keep moving forward, especially when times are hard. Um, I do believe that every now and then we need to have that injection of hard deadline mm. in order to remind us of what we're capable of. And just to give us that little extra push. Like for example, the last two weeks I've done an insane amount of stuff that a couple of weeks ago, I definitely wouldn't because reasons. Um, but if you know your baseline, if you know your why, if you can uh, remember what it you you're doing it all for,
1: mm. that
0: helps. And then just working cycles and another thing that um i came across recently that might be interesting to look into but isn't something that um i've fully investigated is um i was listening to the entrepreneurs on fires podcast and i cannot remember off the top of my head um which guest it was um i wonder if i can do this while i talk but they're the guest on that was basically talking about the different cycles of work patterns between um, men and female biologies in the oh, sense nice of...
1: Because I didn't know whether you would have uh, the comfort level to go there. Why? Why? Well, because, like, let's be honest, historically, men have been like, as it because it's your time of the month? And it's not been received well. <laughs> I, I was going to speak on that, but... now no, there we go. Spotlight's on you. Talk to me about menstruation, Dan
0: so i think oh here we go uh the episode is called do less have more how to reduce your work hours while making more money with kate Northrop. um and she has a book called is it this one uh it's called do less by kate northrup and so in that book she essentially talks about the different um biological cycles of men versus women so men traditionally hormonally have a 24-hour hormone cycle um, in which, you know, we cycle for all the different things. That's kind of it, like day-to-day. And, you know, given the, the state of how patriarchy built Western civilization, most of what we do is built on a day-to-day cycle. That's just kind of how work works. Mm-hmm. What she talks about in that is the 28, roughly the 28-day sort of female cycle, in which, you know, hormones cycle in different phases um and she goes into quite a lot of detail in that about the different phrases uh, phases and how they can work with different parts of the creative process
1: mm. so for
0: example if you're in uh, again I don't know the specifics of this but um ha- having listened to the podcast there was a lot of value in that for people who are interested but like in phase one that might lend better to ideation and just planning phase three might be better towards you know working hard and just actually creating and doing the thing um and you know it's 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 worth acknowledging the part that biology and hormones and everything play in what we do and how we work. And so that may be something that you want to look into Meg, just to potentially trial a few things and understand. I know that um, I won't say their name, but I know someone else in activated authors has spoken a lot about how they've noticed that their patterns tend to um, move with the moon cycles.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense, right? Their monthly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, there's, there's some stuff in that that could be, could be taken away, but one slightly tangential but definitely kind of on the point as well one thing that i keep coming up a lot against lately is there is no right way to do any of this no like we can we can find our best versions of what works for us at that time um but no one ever you know looked down from the clouds and told us that this is how things had to be so just finding what works for you just trialing making errors working out what works keeping track of everything else and Pushing on from there. How I work now is vastly different to how I did three or four years ago.
1: Your circumstances are vastly different.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm vastly older. And more weathered.
1: <laughs> <laughs> We've spoken about this, haven't we?
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Do you think it's important that you bring that up, though? Because, I mean, the patriarchy has a lot to fucking answer for, quite frankly. And I won't get on my soapbox too long because I'm aware this is about people wanting your answers to their questions Um, (laughs) but while we're here um women have been so fucking like the disservice is criminal because you look at any kind of um thing where so like fitness for example you go to a trainer and like you say, you have a hormonal cycle They're like menstruation, ovulation, and then like before and after. I'm sure they've got names. I don't know them. Why would I? The patriarchy. Um, <laughs> but it does affect how how you are. And and because of the way we've been brought up, we've been constantly told that that's because we're weak. It's a weakness of ours like that. It's we are doing a disservice to others instead of people going, OK, well, how about we just look at humanity as a whole? And and so, yeah, I think that's really important that you bring that up. And I will definitely be listening um, to that episode and I will try to find it um, and pop it in the the show notes. Sweet. Okay. Sorry about my, that was very short for me. (laughs) Okay, Renee would like to ask you, You have so many irons in the fire. How do you keep them all straight? You time block, right? I would like to see your schedule for like a week or a month. (laughs) I'm not a very good planner. I need examples because there is so much and I'm not even you. So the question of that is, how do you keep all your irons in the fire straight? Damn.
0: So, (laughs) so annoyingly, I think more so for Renee. Um, I don't properly time block. Um not as rigidly as I used to anyway. Um I do I do have a sense of when I want to get different tasks done and roughly the sort of time. But um like any, like I've said earlier, like it comes and goes in phases. Sometimes I'm much more strict and sometimes I'm a little bit more looser. Um but I mean there's a couple of parts of this. So I use Google Calendar. A hell of a lot for everything in my life i have four potentially five different email addresses that i use to organize different things whether that's stuff that specifically devil's rock activated authors myself my personal life um, and there's another calendar in there somewhere um
1: it and so all the invitations
0: yeah all the invitations and things um so my calendar is pretty much very color-coded to help me understand what things I'm doing and how they're weighted. Mm-hmm. Um one thing that I'm going to be looking at doing more um, because I'm actually just flix over to look at my calendar now. Um, I've got all the things in my calendar that are kind of like blocked out and stuff. But up at the top where it's got the all day stuff it's almost like agenda items. I really want to use that more to remind me of, of things I'm doing. Um, so Google Calendar is one tool that I use to manage and to track things. And then notion as people in activated authors are definitely aware of and um, we have that workshop up on on the dashboard but notion um i've recently revamped my main dashboard for my author stuff because i wanted to simplify it and just get the things um that were working very very top and present so just kind of talking through um and i won't share it because there's stuff on here that's a bit sensitive but um I've got things like my goals at a glance so I can unfold and see what my quarterly goals are, my yearly goals are. It's got like my mass to-do list on there as well. Um, Every day I've got a section which is today's top three priorities. So it's stuff that, you know, if I get these three things done, that's a day one. Um, And then I've got kind of like a mash of my daily to-dos, my monthly to-dos, one-off tasks, um, as well as sort of a bunch of links that lead off to the different projects I'm working on um it's it works for me uh it's very very individualized to how I work and the things that I do um but honestly, I think there's a how am I trying to say this I do too much is is the flat bottom truth, and part of the reason I do too much is partly necessity and partly because <laughs> I don't know any other way no um it's just because i i am very eager and willing to to help and my life circumstances are very different to other people's i i do want to reduce that and i think that sometimes when you do a lot um, and you know when i tell people i wrote 26 books in no uh, in 2020 there's almost a an idolization and a glorification of what that is and mm-hmm. you know it arguably it is impressive in what was achieved but for me that's not it's not a sustainable thing and I don't think it's something that people should be looking at trying to achieve um so I do do a lot um I am well so I do do a lot but then also at the same time like I'm very very careful as much as I can be to make sure that the things I'm doing are the things that matter and often for me the things that matter are giving face time and giving value to the people in the community and in terms of the other stuff I do so it will look like I'm very present. It will look like I'm very there because I'm very, very focused at doing those things that put me in those places where I am being seen, whereas it might be that a few years ago I was spending much more time doing all this admin stuff rather than being so visible and being so um yeah visible with people seeing that you know I'm doing a lot of different things. so if anything uh you know i've i I run my calendar well, I use notion. very very specifically for me to keep track of stuff Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but at the same time um I do do too much and I'm working to reduce that but some of that it's there's like an age-old thing that is happening with my journey um which I'm hoping this is one of the final milestones in that when you become self-employed again there's almost like this um accordioning of things to enable you to reach the next level. Like I could have very easily left my day job, written and just wrote two, three, four thousand words a day. And that was it. That was in those first few months, that was all I did. Mm-hmm. And god damn it, life was beautiful and easy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what I want to do forever. Yeah. And so in order to reach somewhere else, I have to take on more to then account for what I'm losing. Mm -hmm. to then take to that next thing so I'm very much in this transitional phase and you know I have been for the past year and a half two years which I'm closing in on the end of in which I have been doing all of the things to allow me to do much less of the things Mm -hmm. because that's just a necessity like it's very very different to if you're in a salary job in which you can finish a salary job and go into a different salary job and there's just that transfer of work because I have to make up for any loss i have to make sure that's sustainable i have to inflate so i can then reduce it it's a whole it's a whole weird thing um but yeah i don't i don't know if i answered that how do i keep everything straight mostly mostly notion um every every few weeks i tend to have a bit of a purge in which i'll take a day to sit down really look at what i'm doing against my big goals and what i want to try and achieve make sure things are aligned because it's it happens so quickly and it happens so easily that people will message you, things will come up. And before you know it, you're working on something that's so tangential to what you said you were going to do. Um, and I am someone that gets excited by, by shiny new penny. So I really have to work hard to make sure that doesn't happen so much. So that does get me in trouble with a fair bit. Um, but yeah, every, every few weeks I'll sit down, I'll, I'll purge, or I'll, I'll, I'll do it on the whiteboard or, you know, in a notepad, in a cafe, um, and have conversations with friends as well um like it helps having you on board because i can you know spout ideas at you talk about different things and you can be like yeah but you said you're gonna do this and i was like yeah but that was like, like three days ago <laughs> um, um so that also helps having someone on board like an accountability partner to bounce the ideas off of to yeah just just kind of hold you to account for the things you're doing
1: yeah um if calendar blocking is something you are Mm. looking at renee um i and (laughs) you already probably know what i'm going to say because i recommend this video but there's a really um i think she's got a couple now actually um amy landino who is a entrepreneur um and one of the things she does she has a youtube channel um, and she's got a few videos there on time blocking and she is very She's very strategic with with how she does it, and the videos will. She shares the screen and she shows you exactly how to like set up the like step by step, and mm-hmm. gives examples and things like that. So if, if you're wanting to look into calendar blocking, um, that could be something.
0: You did recommend that to me, and it was very useful. Yeah. Is it Gatloo, her catchphrase? Yes, Gat-loo,
1: yeah. Gat-loo, the life you want. Yeah, that's that's her company now. It's called Gatlu. Yeah, yes. yeah,
0: after the life you want.
1: Yeah, love her. Okay, I've just tried to tuck my hair behind my ear for people to... How's that working out for you? <laughs> and just went everywhere. Okay, right, so we're going to dive into um, a big question now. Mm. Um, and I'm going to read it in its entirety.
0: Yes, I'll bite my tongue in that time. Ow.
1: I mean, don't literally bite your tongue.
0: I, I just did, but it's fine.
1: <laughs> right, because i want to get this because this is a big old question <clears throat> so eden asks how do you interact with an author's work when they have done or did something reprehensible what made me think of this was at a quaker meeting i attended over zoom recently someone quoted jk rowling and it made my skin crawl now, for those who don't know or don't remember, in the middle of the first lockdown, JK Rowling went on a massive anti-trans tirade on Twitter for no apparent reason beyond being a hateful prune, a position which she has seemed to have doubled down on over the last couple of years, all while society, mostly straight and cis, have sort of shrugged their shoulders and gone, funny old world, it?" Anyway, let's go see the new Harry Potter film and give her all of our money. I know I'm exaggerating, but not by much. On the other hand, I still read, albeit rarely, bits of Harry Potter Lovecraft, which was shockingly racist, even for the time, and <clears throat> a bit less really, rarely. Marcus Aurelius, who wrote me- Meditations while literally leading an army whose sole purpose was to commit a genocide and eth- ethnic cleansing in Germania. I'm just curious about how you deal with authors being humans and more importantly, not very nice humans from time to time, especially when those authors like Rowling are still alive and how that affects your consumption of their work. Sorry if this is a bit dark for a Sunday afternoon. that's a big old question. And I think if we boil it all down, it is the age-old question of can you separate art from artist? Yeah. Is that your answer?
0: (laughs) It's just that simple.
1: No. Um,
0: Yeah, I don't... I don't know that I'm going to have a, for this I'll, I'll have some form of perspective and obviously everyone has their own, but there are a million examples inside of reading music film of people who have done reprehensible things and yet still sell and are very, very visible. Um, you know, you could ask the question, "Why is Michael Jackson still played on the radio, and why is R. Kelly not?" Um, and there are obviously perspectives on that. Um, but I think what it really boils down to is it's a it's a very personal question, and it, it 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 lies a lot on your core values, your core mission in life, and what it is that affects you. Because what affects you will not affect. thousand other people and you know humans are very very complicated we have our own lenses of how we think of how we move of how we act of how we treat other people um and what emphasis we put onto things um I actually interestingly had a quite um an interesting conversation with an author friend this weekend um about sort of different forms of sensitivity in writing and obviously with horror Being what it is it plays very much with taboo and the borderlines of things that many people don't write about and it triggers a lot of people and there's a lot of um questions around that and we had very different perspectives on that in general because I am very much surrounded by lots of people from various communities who it does impact and it does you know echo in the bubble that I'm in versus the person I was talking to, who it doesn't impact at all because their friends are very different to my friends, their family is very different to my family, their lives are very different to mine. Um, so it really, it comes down to you on a personal level, I think more than anything else and how much you can separate the art from the artist in, in those situations. I mean, I've had people um, kind of roll their eyes at me for the fact that I, I had Will Smith's biography um, on the shelf behind me and then he did something I don't remember what uh, <laughs> but like I, I've always been a massive Will Smith fan huge Will Smith fan um, read his autobiography and I'll be honest it actually put me him a little bit it kind of colored him slightly different to how I viewed him I and then like not three days later he slapped Chris Rock on stage mm. and you know he he sat there in the audience he, he went through the whole thing and you know he um got his award he, he was standing ovation, all that kind of stuff. And it was kind of shrugged under the carpet. A week later, somebody did the same thing at Dave Chappelle concert and gets beaten up by security backstage. It's, it's a real tough one to answer because for me, I'm now in a position in which I don't want to actively support Will Smith because it doesn't, in any way, I, I can't fathom the rationale or the reason or the thought behind it. And it doesn't vibe with the energy I want to put out in the world. Similarly to what Eden says, I have Marcus Aurelius' meditations and I am massively interested in the Stoic philosophy and all the things that he has to say. I think there's immense value in the lessons that he tells. Um, But another thing we've got to also understand is that times change, times move on, and what is okay 300, 400, 5,000 years ago, isn't going to be the same as it is today. So we can't view historical context through the lens of what it is today. Um, we can only take what we know, what we think we can learn from the lessons and move forward. Like I lost, <laughs> I say a friend, I I fell out with uh, an uh, acquaintance because I I read uh, Hitler's Mein Kampf when I was 19 or 20. Um, I posted it on, on Facebook, that I'd read it nothing I didn't like review it just like five stars (laughs) fantastic read well done well done Hitler no I uh I read it as part of a challenge and one of the categories was a banned book or a like a um it wasn't a bad book it was it was along those lines yeah and the reason I read it was because I am incredibly interested in understanding not empathizing in understanding Mm. um and Adolf Hitler I need some introduction um, but I have always been incredibly curious to understand how a person can reach that level of influence and that level of power. And you read that book and you understand it like, you know, evil hides in the face of good mm. and a modest, humble little painter from um, Vienna. No, Austria. Yeah, somewhere in Austria. Um Let's go escape me now. But yeah, a humble little painter from Austria became like a very, very infamous dictator. How does that happen? And and similarly, I've watched Donald Trump documentaries to understand him. I've watched the Jimmy Savile stuff. I've watched all these different things because you have to learn lessons from the past in order to understand the future and to know, you know, what, what really is right and wrong. And this does kind of play a little differently when it comes to fiction. And like music as well. But, um, I mean, all, all of that to say that it's, I don't know that there's an answer for it. And it, it, it is just simply down to you, what you can withstand, what you can't and where you go from there. Um, and unfortunately there are a lot of people that don't understand the depths of the hurt that JK Rowling has imparted on the community. Mm. Um, because they don't live that life they don't see that experience they don't that there are very particular reasons why I can definitely understand where this question is coming from um within my family within my friends not everyone has that experience and the sad truth of life is that that's you know the world is a kaleidoscope in which everyone sees a different color and it's 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 difficult um I'm sure you you not to put you on the spot but you might have a, a thing or two to add on this as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, as with everything in life, there is um, a spectrum. So, for example, um, I was internally smiling when he was talking about Will Smith and then talking about Marcus Aurelius, because obviously, like what Will Smith did was go up on stage and slap someone, and what Marcus Aurelius did was genocide. Yes. Um, so vastly different things, right? V- vastly different <laughs> <laughs> Like, Let's just really underline that. Um, but as you say, when Marcus Aurelius was alive, it wasn't seen, genocide, in the way that we see it now. People were going out and conquering. That's, that's, that, that was life. You went, yeah. out, you went out, you know, the Romans, the Greeks, hello, like, colonization. And it was kind of, I mean, obviously not if you're the ones being fucking invaded or killed off. You, you weren't like, oh, well, <laughs> this is just how it is. But mm-hmm. it, it was very, it was a very, very different time. Um, and I think with, like, the internet um, and all things like that, our evolution has really for better and worse skyrocketed like we've humanity has never been pretty we've always had like jagged disgusting edges um but we've really seen the best and the worst of people in a way that was wasn't um available to us before like news has been taken out of the hands of newscasters um and obviously there's, there's real pros and cons to that. But I think with that, you get to learn about issues that you might not have understood before. I, for example, um, if we're talking about rolling, like I, I didn't know what a trans person was mm-hmm. when I was growing up. I mean, I don't think I saw someone that was not a white person until I was in my teenage years and it's thanks to my mom who like preached unless a person is an asshole to you you better be nice to them that i had i had that i think like i say spectrum so there is a difference between someone having done something say um, like 10 years ago, look at, um, oh my God, Kevin Hart, right? Mm-hmm. He'd already apologised. He wasn't doing it anymore. He'd learnt his lesson. He knew at the time he'd fucked up. And then it's, it's dragged up again 10, 10 years later. Well, that doesn't stop me enjoying Kevin Hart. If anything, the way he handled that situation, I respected it more. Because if there isn't space for evolution and growth, then what's the fucking point? hmm 100%. Having said that, there is a big difference between that and um, like felonious crime. There is a big difference between um, making an ignorant joke 10 years ago that you have learned from and you have apologized for and you've put in steps to become a better person. There's a big difference between that and R Kelly, Mm -hmm. who, I won't go into, like, I'm sure most people know. Um, if you don't, trigger warning, if you look that up, shit up because it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between, um, you know, that kind of thing. And then when you look at, I'm trying to think, what were they called? Is it the Lost profits?
0: I know, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think pretty I, sure, yeah. There, are, there, there is a huge spectrum and at, at the really fucking shit end, at the really disgusting end, you have things that are reprehensible. Truly reprehensible. And like, for example, Space Jam was one of my favourite movies growing up. I fucking love that film. I've still got it on VHS. Now, one of the opening scenes in that film is little Mike playing basketball and his dad's asking him to come inside, like, come on. And he's like, no, I, I want to keep playing. And the track that's played over that is I Believe I Can Fly.
0: that like one of my childhood songs.
1: Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes me so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because... It's separating the art from the artist when something is that disgusting. You, the art takes on a new meaning. Mm-hmm. You, you, you listen to those lyrics knowing who that person is. It's not the same piece of art. I would argue. No. Now, I also think if we're going to look at the difference between people that are alive and people that are no longer alive, you have to think of uh money so for me for example i i i can't go near rolling i i am a um het cis white woman so it doesn't affect me personally in the sense of um you know i'm not part of the trans community i'm not part of um, the lgbtia plus community really at all i i know i have family members i have friends that are part of that community and i know the damage that that has done beyond like it being you know insensitive beyond like just the wounds that that has inflicted and you know just I won't go into the whole fucking because like it's ridiculous and it's still there because as Eden says she's really doubling down on Mm -hmm. the fact now I I won't go see the new films I won't buy any merchandise won't do anything and I was a huge Harry Potter fan not the biggest there is but a, a big and like for me personally I can't go near it now because again it takes on a new meaning And you see things in a different light. So I'm completely with you in the sense of, it has to be a personal decision. But for me personally, it is about where on the spectrum that lies. Mm -hmm. Um, And am I helping them by continuing to indulge in art that they have made? You know, so like, for example, if I wanted to buy a piece of Harry Potter merchandise, I'm I'm sending her money. Mm-hmm. And I refuse to do that. So I, I do think it's a it's a huge question. And oh, it, it's massive. Yeah. yeah. It's, such, it's like it's so complicated because. The truth is, there are people that will happily separate the art from the artist if they really like the thing. Like I'm obsessed with Christina Aguilera she'd have to do some real dark shit (laughs) like but there is a line and that line has to be it's an internal thing but anyway
0: and it's just to kind of add a couple more um ideas on that is you know we are we are responsible and we we can choose the things that we consume and the things that we don't and the things that we don't make a message in the same sense that you know it's it's people that do, people don't realize the customer always has the greatest power. So if everyone in the world suddenly stopped buying Harry Potter stuff, that would, that would have an impact. Yeah, um, know. but we, we, we can't control other people. And that's, that's way, how much I say this wearing that burden, um, can, can be really heavy when we don't always have the power to change unless we, you know, we can band together, we can lobby, we can do things, we can work together. Um, it, it, it takes a lot to take that leadership role and to do that. And I have a huge admiration for people that do. Um, but you've got to look at like the reality of you know, things like over in Russia, like there are people that support currently what's going on over there. Um it's hard to talk about this without getting too sort of entrenched in politics and things, but um, you know, there's a whole half of the world, arguably, that believes in very, very different ideals to our ideals and who's to say what's right and what's wrong. I mean, we can obviously speak from our own personal experience and I know where I sit on that spectrum, but yeah, I think <laughs> I think we'll round it off there. It's 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 hard, especially, like, I know a lot of people who using this example more than anything. Like, Harry Potter has had such a big impact on oh. modern culture beyond, like, it sure. encouraged an entire yeah. generation of kids, reading, the love of story, of fantasy, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this situation holds a very very different candle um to someone who hasn't had that kind of mark but yeah
1: and just very quickly I think that is one of the biggest things that has hurt is that Mm. like it was the home for misfits it was the home for people that didn't feel like they felt they could fit anywhere else it was there was the line right Hogwarts is always waiting to welcome you home mm-hmm. and then you find out this shit and it's like no <laughs> <laughs> what's is there to welcome some people home and that's what I mean like once you know the truth it's you can't see it in the same way or at least I can't with that particular example
0: go to Minas yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's nicer there. But I mean, yeah, yeah. That's not a
1: deep dive on talking. <laughs> yes, yes. Moving <laughs> on! Oh <my God! laughs> okay, so we've got a couple more questions left. I'm just aware...
0: super quickly, sorry. Just I do want to say thank you for asking that question. Eden. Yeah,
1: that's a big fucking question. And it takes, like, a lot to ask that kind of question. Okay, so we've got two questions left. Now, I'm aware this episode is going to be a little bit longer. Um, number one, because I talk way more than I probably uh <laughs> should do in this setting. But also that was a big question and I feel like it yeah. it, it deserved the answer. Mm-hmm. So um two questions left. Emmy would like to Emmy Grange would like to know how are you having fun slash gathering energy and inspiration?
0: Oh that would have been a very different answer five days ago. Um so full transparency I don't know that I have been properly for a long time. Um and by a long time roughly around 2020 when something I can't remember what happened <laughs>
1: That's like 20 years
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i am um, so as mentioned at the beginning i've recently come back from chilecon and spent four days around arguably my people um mm. and for the last 3 years that hasn't been an option um also a little bit before that because of the nature of this type of business lots of the people that i'm friends with live very very far away so it's kind of yeah, it's difficult to, to socialise with other writers and, and do that kind of thing. But, you know, I just spent four days with 100, 150 horror writers of, like, including some of the, the best in the world. Um Went out, had fun, spoke about horror, very, very deep level, and just had all those conversations. And what was great about that was, and this is a weird thing that I've kind of, um, I, I think, realised recently, is... um And as... Is always when I say stuff as a disclaimer that I don't mean this in a negative way so the last two writers conferences I went to were 20 books of 50k London and 20 books to 50k Edinburgh which I loved and I had a fantastic time on but what I've realized after this weekend is they're not actually writing conferences they're publishing conferences mm. and what this was for me was a writing conference mm-hmm. and it was not that not just that but it was a writing conference full of like horror writers and it sounds so stupid to like say that out loud but I went to 20 books London and I didn't meet another horror author I went to 20 books Edinburgh and I met one other horror author and there was something really almost like I don't know you almost felt like um a a pioneer in <laughs> in the horror being like that representative but people were meeting up and there was like groups of 15 20 fantasy writers thriller writers romance writers and then there was the horror writer and I didn't, I don't know why I didn't even like think of it And then this weekend, everywhere you look, it was a horror writer and they know what you're reading and they know what you're watching and they know what you love and you have these fantastic um, conversations. And so not only that, but also it was, you know, I've, I've, I've not really been to that many big in-person things since the pandemic for obvious reasons, you know? Yep. Yeah. Just the fact that it was a pandemic on top of that, like I've got a kilo to look after so I don't really want to put myself at risk in a place in which I then have to isolate myself however many many days and not see him Mm -hmm. um and I I've come away just I mean knackered at this point I was not arrested properly but like transformed um sort of it really has pulled me back to everything that I loved about getting into writing in the first place and has kind of motivated and inspired that again which is the fire I think I've been looking for for a long time um and that was, that was just fun. Like it was work in the sense of it was about writing, but it was just fun. And like they had panels, they had people you can go and listen to. And it was so relaxed. It was essentially um, myself, Luke Condor, John Crennan and Dan Howarth um, in an Airbnb. And it was just, just relaxed. We like, we went to things we wanted to go to. We met up, then went for food. And we bumped into ho- other horror authors and kind of just went out and had drinks. And it was just very, very loose and relaxed. And I think I need more of that in my life. Um, I need to find more places where this happens for fun because it was fun. It was refreshing and, and it filled the well in a very, very big way. I came back with so many more books than I thought I was going to. <laughs> um, so that's one way um, is getting away from the computer, meeting up with people. Uh, and not just that, but people that inspire you and are just fantastic, friendly people. Like, I'd only met Luke out of the four of us, well, and myself. I'd be up
1: every day in the mirror.
0: Yeah, but I, uh, I've i had calls with Dan and, and John over the years and, and, you know, been in different forums and known for ages, but, like, it was nice just all of us being genuinely just nice calm people we got on really well it was all like we're all so like-minded that there wasn't a point of discomfort around the event or sharing quarters or anything it was just it was just fantastic and so that's one way um is is to charge and do that um in terms of other ways to have fun just it kind of on a similar vein I've I try I've been increasingly trying to make time to see friends and to do more things outside of writing so uh, this week weekend long weekend going to the caravan which is like my parents own a caravan on the sort of uh, northeastern border of the UK I'm going there for a few days with my mum and my dad and my sister and Bailey and just kind of getting away trying to unplug a bit from technology and just have fun Mm -hmm. Um, I think the the third thing really is just trying new weird different things Mm -hmm. um just seeing what i can do to to learn to try like i've got a (laughs) i've I've been looking into like crochet lately and knitting and things like that just because it fascinates me i don't understand how it's done and that hurts my mind so i want to know how um
1: on knitting
0: yeah it's it yeah um so i want to potentially give that a go not like take it up as a full hobby but just learn enough to understand it
1: it's but just um,
0: yeah you'll see me like in three months time in just a massive shawl that I've made for myself um and also one other thing I've been looking into lately is is Warhammer just because I like the idea of having something that is away from technology that is just focused attention and there's some skill to it and I'm a big fan of like Lord of the Rings and they have Lord of the Rings sets and I like, yep. like dragons and monsters and stuff so stuff like that so just just a mix really um but if anything as I say this this weekend has kind of upped the priority list or the, the priority of the items of finding more fun and striking that balance stronger yeah
1: yeah I think it's it's such a difficult thing. I mean, for me, anyway, it was difficult and remains difficult for different reasons before the pandemic, but like, we were still talking like, you know, the pandemic's over, it's, it's not really over. It's just, hmm. it's 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 managed. Yeah, it's quieter. People, <laughs> people got bored of it and so the politicians were like, oh, well, it's probably <laughs> quiet down a bit now. And weirdly enough, as soon as like, Boris got outed as being an absolute, uh, silly man! Um, it's got real quiet, um, but I think for people who enjoyed socialising beforehand, there's a, there is a real there's a reticence, there's there's real fear still. Mm. You know, like people still on instinct are queuing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think particularly if you. Are extrovert leaning even just being around people is is key yeah
0: I found that I'm also coming to terms with how my idea of socializing has changed um interesting because I used to be very much bars and and like drinking and and that kind of stuff not like heavy but enough to just get a bit of a buzz on and chat to friends um and now like it's I really do just get a big buzz off of just hanging out with people having like a really good conversation. Mm. I'm in my 30s now, so that's changed. Um, but but owning that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know I went, went on a do recently and I didn't feel the pressure to have to keep up with the lads because they didn't buy with me and that's not what I wanted to do.
1: Yeah.
0: And I know much better who I am now to know what I do and don't want to do and what effects that if I do do the things I don't want to do will have on me then I'm not going to be able to do the things that, that I want to do
1: <laughs> <please>. eloquent yeah <laughs> I just just very quickly when you were saying when you were saying it was you uh Krennan, Condor and Howarth is that how you say hmm. it last name? It's so funny because the first thing that came into my head was Joe Lycett going, Lazarus Lads! Because... Yeah.
0: It's not that crowd. <laughs> I
1: mean. It's like, it was Joe Lycett I heard saying. Yeah, it. yeah. that point. Like, it's <laughs> just, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't, I imagine that that would have been like an extremely chill, like, awesome. Oh, It was. Thing. It was. Okay, so our final question got my old ladies back on. Um, I say it like I don't wear them all the time. The only reason I, uh, is because of this:
0: the shine, the glare.
1: Yeah, everywhere I look. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so, Ara would like to know what was your favorite thing about writing when you first got into it, and has this changed with where you are now? And if it has changed, in what way? These are all very tiny questions. I would like to add. Oh,
0: very big questions as well. <laughs>
1: Look, you put in a post and ask people to ask you anything. Yeah, it's oh, self inflicted. Salty. The they do what you asked them to. Uh, <sighs> can
0: you repeat the question, please?
1: Oh, unbelievable! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will do. Get your old
0: lady glasses back on.
1: Well, I'm now. I'm going to try and. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just a black blur. Okay, so what was your favorite thing about writing when you first got into it, and has this changed with where you are now? And if it has changed, in what way?
0: I don't think it has changed um it's evolved it's grown um I think at its core I've always enjoyed painting pictures with words so when I first started writing it is the descriptive side of stuff that I do really really enjoy like um
1: that'll be the Tolkien fan in you
0: that would be the talking fan in me. But I don't, I don't necessarily even just mean like the written description. I mean, like, you know, a, a set of dialogue can paint a picture based on what is said and what is unsaid
1: mm-hmm. and
0: how you kind of script that and, and put that on the page. Um, yeah, I remember writing Sins of Smoke. And the opening scene of that is a man in a confessional booth. And I really liked painting the early morning sunrise and the motes of dust filtering around and sort of the different fragments of color coming off the stained glass um i like i like i really like building a picture in 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 people's heads Um, and having a bit of sort of mysticism to it as well uh i think that's partly the reason that i don't really often write very contemporary modern stuff that is close to like where i live Mm -hmm. i i I feel like I can write you know situations of people just I don't know, walking down the street or whatever, but there'd have to be something a bit more intriguing, a bit more colorful that I'd have to add to it um just to elevate some of some of what's happening and you know horror does give you that that freedom to do that because horror is very much a theme and a tone um and so you can take just a normal street and add like the darkening clouds or you know someone watching through a window and they just twist it immediately into this other and um, and i think that is really what stays with me the when winter comes is a very visceral
1: it's exceptional. um
0: thank you um it's very ominous colorful there's there's magic in the air um even though it's not explicitly sort of described as magic and i really try to create a feeling like i think the stories that have impacted me most is when people have taken either the ordinary or the sort of extraordinary and there's there's that change in the chemistry in your gut with words with words like you're reading just random shapes on a page and for whatever reason you feel like sick or you're laughing or you're like you're gonna cry and so I really like the sort of weighty emotional stuff and trying to take people on a journey with their emotions and the the book I'm writing at the minute is possibly the most purple thing I've ever written but at the same time, it's I'm really trying to capture an ethereal state and to disorientate and to take the reader on this real kind of mind-bending journey um based around, you know, horror, because that's where the heart is. But it's it's that. It's um it's the people that paint the pictures and leave that impression in your head of, of something that wasn't there before. So, you know, you mentioned Tolkien, like I am a huge Tolkien fan. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I've loved about Lord of the Rings is how rich and detailed the worlds are. Yeah. Um, read people like Clive Barker and like Ray Bradbury and their prose is just like, arguably like in some ways a bit more archaic now, more so Bradbury than, than Barker, but mm-hmm. like it's, it's what, it, it, it's the extra senses that get fired up by reading um and I talk a lot about Nick Cutter as well particularly his book The Troop because there are so many points in that book where you smell what's going on just through the description you hear it you taste it and like it encompasses all of you Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know arguably it's it's not a normal situation but it could be it's like a a group of Boy Scouts that go onto an island and then stuff happens but just the way that it's told there's almost like a, a fantastical sort of magical element to it and so I think I'm still looking for new ways to write that and to capture that magic and to improve my craft, to just make readers feel the stuff that I feel when I read those books.
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I would, I've said this to you um, privately, but I would say as well, like now, when... When I read "When Winter Comes," which again is like exceptional, <laughs> just
0: pointing so for people watching on the YouTube,
1: oh, it's there <laughs> too.
0: Um,
1: I it's very strange because my brain works very differently, um, and I hear a lot of writers say like I have to imagine it in my head before I can write it. Um, I, it doesn't work that way with me I can't I can't it It. it's the same as when I, I write poetry it doesn't exist in my brain it exists in a point between thought and pen there's mm. like and I can't if I try and sit and do it like like I can plan out what I want to happen but I don't see it as this big thing it's it just comes out of me that's that's just and so I you know I also then struggle when I'm reading to to imagine these big worlds because it exists between the page and my brain. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to explain it.
0: I know what you mean. There's a lot of like um, interesting research and in sort of the connection between visualisation and the means of yeah. um, absorption, I guess.
1: So all of this to say that when I was reading where Winter Comes, I had my first real experience of an actual sense being triggered and I spoke I, like I I literally stopped reading to tell you about <laughs> it because I was so excited and it's like it, it was the fire and like as I say I can hear it popping because it, that's how like deeply ingrained in my brain it was mm-hmm. and I had read um other other of your works before and I really enjoy your style how you write and I'm not a horror fan um so sorry about your also bots. Um <laughs> but I enjoy how you write. I enjoy your horror because it's it it's character driven and I'm I'm here for that. I can I can deal with that. Nothing is um my brain is saying it's strange, but that's not the word I want. When something is done for effect as opposed for purpose. Gratuitous. There we go. Um, there's always a reason. Um, but that book really, oh, like, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, just for me, that the fire, just the fire. I was like, I can <laughs> fire. Um, yeah. So it's
0: really interesting, like, the different lines as well that people pick up because as a writer, you can, you obviously like write words and words and words and words. And yeah. you know, in the end, it becomes a book. Um, and I had someone else say to me that one of the things they really, really captured sort of visually um, was as one of the characters was drinking a beer, the foaming of mm-hmm. like, the foam of the, the beer on, on the mustache, on the lips. And it's like, you never know what's gonna strike with with what person. And again, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier with like different people's perception and lenses and kind of how, how they see the world. And like, there are lines that I read in people's books that I'm like, oh my God, it's phenomenal. And I say it to people and they're like, yeah, it's all right. like it's such a personal thing both reading and writing Mm -hmm. um i think there's a there's a beauty in that
1: agreed and what a perfect place to bring this to a close
0: beautiful well thank you very much sam for playing host and asking asking the questions
1: you're most welcome
0: um not sure whether to do the usual spiel at the end. I do. For people that want to find out more about Activated Authors, get all of our community situation, our resources, and everything else that's going on there, head on over to activatedauthors.com. Um, we'll have our next Ask Me Anything in a month or so. But for now, goodbye from myself and goodbye from Sam Frost. Goodbye. <laughs> all right, bye, folks. Activate your energy.